0: The Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. To horror queers we're talking cenobites we're talking fourth franchise films that go to space and we're talking alan
1: smithy i'm joe and i'm trace and we're talking newly rapace's stunt double <laughs> <laughs> i laughed so hard when you mentioned that didn't even cross my mind but now i can't unsee it it's so funny. so we're talking hellraiser bloodline y'all and if you've never seen it rest assured uh it doesn't matter or oh, i'm sorry if you've never seen the first three it also doesn't matter. <laughs> no, not really. It mostly works as a standalone film. Uh, it doesn't really pay off anything except for like the very, very, very last shot of three, which I had to look up to remember what that was. Right. But we will take you through this entire process. Uh, but yeah, no, I watched this for the first time last year when I did a Hellraiser marathon, which um, word from me, don't ever don't do that. Don't do that. No, 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 no. <laughs> that is bad. Okay, so I'm a huge fan
0: of this franchise. That's yes. why I picked it for my birth. Day
1: hit. Happy birthday! But this doesn't Yay! come out on your birthday. Your birthday is the 9th, right? Um, yes. I know you don't know. <laughs> I, I know. I know. I remember this last year. You don't like people knowing the exact date for some reason. I don't remember the reason, but it doesn't matter. I mean, I don't like to make a big deal out of it. If somebody
0: wants to find my wish list on Amazon and buy me a bunch of Shout Factory Blu-rays, be my
1: guest. But I'm just not a person who likes to make a big deal out of it. I never think about doing that of making. I, I think I have one, but like, yeah, just making a wish list and just put, like, posting it on my Twitter profile and being like, "Hey, if you're a fan and you want me to be on My Good Graces, um, go here and buy me things." But then I'm like, "Well, doesn't it?" No, I guess it doesn't have to give your address because it's just like a gift thing. Okay, anyway, sorry. I think if you mark it
0: as a wish list, it's secret. But yes, so maybe Got I'll it. post a link to that. I don't know. Yeah. we'll see how I feel on the day. Well, happy early birthday, Joe. Do you want to tell people how old you're turning? Let's just say that I'm inching closer to four o than three five. We'll put it that
1: way. Okay. <laughs> a lady never tells her age. <laughs> well, I mean, it's. I can't wait. I, say, I hope we're doing the podcast still when you're when you turn forty. But we will. No, oh, guaranteed. That's gonna be fun. But yeah, no. I th- when I but when I first watched this movie, the whole time I was like, "That's Numi Rapace. Like, I don't know what the fuck. So, <laughs> so- <laughs> it's her using a nom de plume Just like the director But of, of course Numi Rapace was probably like You know 10 when this came out So it doesn't really make sense But yeah So we have Numi Rapace's uh, clone And we also mm-hmm. have Meryl Streep's clone in this movie So You betcha I had completely forgot that Kim Myers was in this movie And
0: literally She comes on screen I just went Meryl <laughs> You're welcome for
1: that. (laughs) She doesn't have a lot to do. Well, okay, she she has things to do, but there's so many things happening in this movie that whatever she has to do is like nothing in comparison. Well, that's the problem, right? I mean, this movie casts
0: very competent female actresses and then either forgets about them, demotes them, which we'll get into, Mm. or it's doing more interesting things so that whenever the female characters are on screen, you're thinking, I don't really know that I want to be spending this time with you right now.
1: Yes. So let's get this out of the way right now. Do you like this movie? Oh, I fucking love this movie. Okay, so but like I I picked it and I said it's
0: my bad birthday pick, but I say that because I recognize a lot of people probably think it's not a very good movie. I love Hellraiser One and Two, like unabashedly love like Die on the Hill. I look at them almost as one film, and they're in my top five films. Like, if you go to my Letterboxd account, you will see Hellraiser is literally one of those films that I put on the front page.
1: Well, and it's really funny, too, because I mean, I I, I love the first two. Um, I think the, se- the second one is my favorite, uh, which might be to great. some, but I think it's, it's kind of a Scream 2 thing where it takes what the first one does and kind of like fine-tunes it. Fine really tunes builds and builds on it. it. Yeah. Yes, and it goes full, like, bunkers, balls-to-the-walls, nuts. Oh, my God. The Leviathan. I die I it's die. So good. and they bring back Julia Cotton who is literally my spirit animal yes and also Kirsty is in that movie but then you have the third one which I don't remember a lot of even though I just watched it last year but I remember it being Cuckoo Bananas Fun it's very fun. it's very dumb it's kind of like hey this franchise can be silly it doesn't have to take itself quite so seriously yes and that's basically where Pinhead is in a pillar the whole movie and he's eating people the pillars at like the top of this club mm-hmm. <laughs> and oh he's just God, eating club. people <laughs> so dumb it's, it's so like a funny. weird dracula renfield situation where he's dracula and he like hires this renfield guy to like basically bring him people to eat mm-hmm. yeah it's there's a cd demon in it which is you oh know, my god yes yeah, it's great yes. then we it's have this everything. which is the last theatrically released hellraiser film and it actually does conclude the saga it really does yeah which and i don't know if you have the scarlet box set that i think was arrow video I do not. I watch this on goddamn DVD. Well, no. What I was going to say is that the Scarlet Box is just 1 through 3. Arrow opted not to include 4 because of the negative fan reaction to it. But I'm like, but 1 through 4 like is a franchise. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it is. It's beginning yep. and end... Everything after this is bullshit. Oh, God, yeah. I mean, this is a
0: quadrilogy. These were all Hellraiser films from start to finish. What you get after this is the start of these terrible direct-to-video sequels, and a lot of them are those terrible repurposed scripts where they Mm -hmm. shoehorn Cenobites into it. And
1: otherwise, they're just a generic crime thriller. Right. And it's and terrible. People go to bat for Inferno because it was directed by Scott Derrickson. I hate that one. That's, it, that, that's one mm-hmm. that stars um, Dennis from 30 Rock. Yeah, Dean Winters. It's so boring. I hate it. It's so bad. Then there, there's, um, there's Deader, which is Carrie Wur as a reporter um, writing reports <gasps> like, I want to be a, how to be a crack whore. <laughs> it's so bad, but I fucking love Carrie Wooler. No, I I love her too. And I think that out of all these terrible sequels, that one was my favorite, which isn't saying much. It's not good. Um, There's Hellseeker, which does bring back Kirstie Cotton for about five minutes. Oh, God. I remember watching
0: that thinking, because, of course, you know, in the fan communities, they rile up people when they say, like, oh, my God, Ashley Lawrence, she's coming back for this movie. And you're like, yes, Queen. Okay. And then she shows
1: up literally for five minutes and she kind of looks over at the whole time <laughs> well and also I, I really don't like how they handle her character in that movie oh no it's a complete betrayal of the character it is uh i thought Hellworld was going to be one of my favorites even though i heard it was terrible and henry cavill's in it but i was like oh it's like video game hellraiser and lance Hamrick said mm-hmm. it, and henry cavill holy I mean, fuck so it's not good it's so bad also pinhead isn't technically even in that movie spoiler alert the twist is that like lance henriksen has the all the kids like drugged up in a, a bunch of coffins and he's like putting visions in them that pinhead is actually attacking them but it's not real No. And don't worry,
0: folks, we are not spoiling these movies for you because they are so bad, you shouldn't even think about watching them.
1: Well, honestly, I can get over the badness. The problem is a lot of these sequels are very, very boring, which is why, even though I do think this is a bad movie, I don't think it's boring. No. No. 1 through 4 hold up for me. 1 and 2 are pretty much the same, 3 is its own 90s kooky thing, and then this Mm -hmm. one is weird space France thing. Yes. Yes. Oh my god, I can't wait to get into this. I know. So, no, so So let's dive in. So yes, your birthday pick. Oh, I did want to point out too. So we mentioned this on our January horror mini set on Patreon, but we, you were caught between this and The Relic, uh, which was a January horror release from 97, I think. And we ended up going with this. I was bummed at first because I love The Relic. Oh my god, I love The Relic. In hindsight, this is going to be the better discussion because there's way more going on in this movie, whereas The Relic, as good as it is, is a pretty simple creature feature. It really is, yeah. If people have not seen the relic, I highly, highly encourage you to see Kado.
0: It it's legit super fun. It's one of those films that my sister and I watched about a billion times on, well, I guess back in the day, video cassette. But uh, yeah, if you haven't seen that one, it's a great little gem of a creature feature. The special effects are fantastic, Mm -hmm. but I do agree with you. I think Bloodline is going to give us a lot to talk about, although I don't know exactly what, because I don't know all of the complicated production history and you asked me not to look it up. So I've just been waiting all week for you to tell me.
1: I thought, I thought that if you didn't go in, if you didn't know going into it, there might be a better discussion. So we've never done this before, listeners. Normally we both know it all going in and we just kind of like play along as we go through the production. Joe is going in blind with this, which is surprising considering how much of a Hellraiser head he is. I'm also going to practice talking slower because usually I try to... I always think that the production stuff, for me it's not boring, but for some listeners it might be boring, so I try to rush through it to like get to the meat and potatoes of the film. I'm not going to do that this time because there's a lot of shit going on in the production of this movie.
0: There is a lot, yeah. It's not that I don't know it. I don't remember the very specific details. But, I mean, if you know what Alan Smithy is, then you know that there's something that's gone
1: wrong. And we'll talk about what or who Alan Smithy is in a little bit. Yeah. So, yes, uh, Hellraiser Bloodline is Hellraiser 4, the last theatrically released Hellraiser film. It came out March 8, 1996 and was released by Miramax Pictures. I don't know if it was Dimension Films yet.
0: I think it is because if I remember correctly, when I was watching, I saw the Dimension logo. I should have paid attention to that, but I don't
1: remember if it was. It might have just been when they released it on video, though. That's also possible. Um, We are looking at a runtime of 85 minutes, which, uh, listeners, uh, Mm -hmm. it's actually it's about 78 minutes and 14 seconds because the opening credits are a full two minutes and the end credits uh are about four minutes long so there's a lot of special effects for that space stuff oh my
0: god (laughs) oh my god (laughs) oh come on they're actually kind of revolutionary for 1996
1: it's just when you look at them now you're like oh god well there's some fun workarounds with the the practical effects especially like the space dogs like a lot of the space dog stuff is just pov running around and then when they're standing still that's when you actually get to look at them because they just sit there and go and that's it so yep. yes this movie did not do well uh, oh we're getting a budget of four million dollars though so it opened in the number five slot with four dollars so even though it didn't make a lot of money it made its budget back opening weekend mm-hmm. i think it made more than three if i'm not mistaken it made about the same amount one and two made about 12 million and i think three also made nine million dollars because this ended up making 9.3 million dollars eh. which i mean oh like mid 90s horror we have talked about this before if people want a recap of where
0: 90s horror was at go back and listen to our demon Night episode
1: uh or scream or scream yeah no i think because scream i go through an entire like this is what was coming out in the mid 90s <laughs> i think i listened right. to this movie actually <laughs> yes you did but yes demon Night as well <laughs> Uh, yeah. Uh, so no one liked this movie. We're looking at a 31% on Rotten Tomatoes with an average score of 3.67 out of 10, but that is only based on 13 reviews. Yeah. Way harsh, Ty. Yeah. Um,.
0: Yeah. People wanted to not like this movie. Like, when you read the reviews,
1: people are just so dismissive. They don't give it any credit for trying something new. Well, really frustrates me. This is a franchise, though, that if you're not a horror nut, like, general audiences don't like this franchise. It's a bit too intense for them. Yeah, it's too up its own ass, and I appreciate that. It's part of the reason it appeals to me. But oh, and also we're kind of burying the lead. Even this wasn't directed by Clive Barker or written by Clive Barker, the basic premise was conceived by Clive Barker, who of course is a very, very, very famous gay horror master. Mm -hmm. I think he
0: still executive produces it. And after this one wrapped, he was like, cool. I'm done. We're good. And then as soon as it made even an iota of money,
1: they were like, okay, let's keep going. And he said, peace out. Yeah, it's, it's it, whatever. He 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 made a good choice, uh as we just yeah. discussed with the rest of these sequels. Oh yeah. Audience score of thirty-seven percent with an average score of five point seven six out of ten. Metacritic we're looking at a twenty-one out of one hundred, but and this is my favorite thing, a user score of seventy-three out of hundred. Yes. Only based on nine reviews. So the nine Damn. of you who um helped get a good score, good job. Come on, people, let's get on there. Let's do retroactive reviews of this bitch and let's pump that score up. <laughs> So, okay, we're gonna go through the the production of this before we talk about the plot. And I'm just, I'm very interested to know your thoughts. So, okay, the initial premise of the film with the basic like, hey, this is what we're gonna do with the third movie. Uh, It was just that it was there was a shape changing structure that was used to trap pinhead, which does happen in this movie. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but that was inspired by the ending of Hellraiser 3, which, as I mentioned this earlier, the last shot of Hellraiser 3 is basically the skyscraper that is the setting for a third of this film is constructed and looks like the box, which I don't think was named the Le Marchand configuration until this movie. I'm not sure if it's retroactive, but
0: I've heard it referred to as the Lament configuration. And then mm-hmm. it seems like they
1: changed that to Le Marchand well, in this one. Yes, but but so but this is why. So basically Barker suggested a three-part film set in different time periods, which again does happen, but screenwriter Peter Atkins added the Le Marchand storyline himself. Like that was his creation. So I okay. don't I don't think I could be wrong cuz I'm not a nut on this franchise. I don't think Le Marchand was even mentioned in 1, 2 or 3.
0: No, I don't believe so. And if we are wrong, as always, feel free to
1: connect with us and let us know. It does say though that he added that storyline which goes back to Barker's novella which I have read and mm-hmm. they might refer to it as the Le Marchand configuration in his novella which is only like 100 pages it's really short but that mm-hmm. might be th- the idea behind it. Yeah, if I remember the novella correctly,
0: it's really just Frank's stuff. It's not about Kirstie and her like incestuous daddy uncle
1: yeah, I mean, I read it probably 10 years ago, and um, we're not going to talk about that too much, because I don't want to get things no. wrong and have people come at us for it, but um, yeah, have you well, ever read and it? And uh... to be honest, I hope one day that we actually do the other, at least three
0: Hellraisers at some point.
1: Oh my god, all three of them? <laughs> okay, maybe we'll do like we're doing with Scream, though, but instead of going forwards, we'll just go backwards and we'll work our way back in time. Ooh, that could be interesting. Or right. I figure, yeah, well, we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it out <laughs> end. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Peter Atkins was no stranger to this franchise. Uh, he had previously written Hellraiser 2 and co-written Hellraiser 3. Okay. So he and Barker pitched this entire concept to Miramax, and they greenlit it without requesting an outline. Hmm, okay. <laughs> so, Red flag. Part one, yes, part two. Joe Chappelle was the studio's first choice to direct the film, in case you don't know who that is, he is the director of Halloween 6. <laughs> I have to be okay. like, which one is it's it? Like, the Curse <laughs> of Michael Myers, which also Ooh. famously had a
0: troubled production. Oh my god. All of these franchises, have any of them
1: had an easy run? It seems like the answer is no. No, I, I don't think so at all. I think every major franchise has at least an issue one way or another with at least one entry. Mm-hmm. but here's the kicker so joe Chappelle agreed to direct halloween 6 on the understanding that he would be allowed to direct this film because he was more interested in doing hellraiser 4 than he was halloween 6 which yes. you know what i Fair. i get it this is way more interesting than doing
0: i'm sorry people know i'm not the biggest halloween fan but like if you get to do pinhead in space versus generic michael myers stalking what's-her-face like girl that you keep telling me i would enjoy watching. well it's
1: danielle harris but um yeah. and that character is in halloween 6 but she gets well depending on which version you watch she gets killed in the opening scene of halloween 6 or halfway through the film in uh the producer's cut but she's not played by danielle harris <laughs>
0: oh right
1: oh and you know what
0: i should take that back because i have not seen that film in many many years and i know that that is like the interesting film to a lot of people because it has that stupid cult of Thorns stuff going on
1: yes um i just rewatched. i watched the producers cut for the first time because we just did a halloween marathon um back in october so um it's fine it's not oh okay it's neither yay nor nay just meh I mean, honestly, like, 4 and 5 really dropped in quality for me on a rewatch. I know people love 4. I was not impressed with it when I watched it again. And like this movie, uh, Halloween 6 at least does stuff that's ambitious, whereas 4 and 5 don't.
0: That's what I want for my franchise entries. Like, if you're going to swing, swing big. You may fuck it up.
1: But maybe you get something interesting. Yeah. So, coming back to Chappelle, though. So, after the fucked up production that was Halloween 6, he then declined to direct this (laughs) movie. Because he felt burned out after the troublesome production, which makes sense. Fair, Um, But we're not done with Mr. Chappelle yet. Okay. But before we come back to him, Stuart Gordon. Famed, famed gore master Stuart Gordon, known for his low-budget horror films, was approached to direct. But he backed out after having artistic disagreements. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, that's that. So, we now come to special effects technician Kevin Yeager. Yeah. Yeah, so Kevin Yeager honestly hasn't directed a lot, but he's done tons of special effects for such films like Nightmare on Elm Street 3 and 4, the original Child's Play, the 1989 Phantom of the Opera with Robert England, The Dentist, Sleepy mm-hmm. Hollow, and the 2004 Lemony Snicket movie. Didn't he do freddie 2 as well uh it is possible i think you are correct i had a very short space to list off all of those films and he has <laughs> a lot of special effects i just bring it up because i remember how much we talked about the special effects in freddie 2 yeah no i mean and that totally makes sense yeah so they hired this guy but only because and this makes sense because fucking miramax and it's important to know miramax again to mention it's the weinsteins Mm. Their names were not mentioned in any of the research that I came across. So it's a lot of times it's, oh, the studio did this, or the executives did this. I'm fairly certain they're referring to Bob Weinstein, who was the head of Dimension at the time. But I don't know that for a fact. Those brothers got their fat little fingers all over these franchises. Right? But anyway, so he was hired after his cost-saving work on episodes he did for Tales from the Crypt with Joe Silver. (laughs) Oh, that's a reason to hire somebody. This dude saved us money. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. So there's a book called The Hellraiser Films and Their Legacy, which is written by author Paul Kane. It's on my wish list. It's yes. It's on my Amazon wish list. <laughs> well, so in that book, he describes the shooting script or the the original script for this movie as one of the best Hellraiser sequels, and it was ambitious, which I mean the film is ambitious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But here's the problem. Miramax would not provide the budget to realize some of the scenes, so the film oh was scaled God. back. Of course. So the original script was never shot. So then we have the shooting script, which is what we're looking at. Now, this still isn't what made it into theaters. hmm I know. I know. I'm just... <laughs> this is so aggravating to listen to. Oh, I, I'm barely halfway done. So here Jesus. we go. Okay. Filming begins in Los Angeles in August 1994. Problems start I'm sorry, 94? 94. Oh, fuck. Yeah, August 94, it comes out March 96. So, yes. Shit, okay. Well, because there were reshoots, but Mm -hmm. we'll get there. Yep, keep going, keep going. (laughs) No, I'm just, oh, God, my heart, my heart. You're on the edge of your seat, I can feel it. So, problems began early and continued throughout production. Doug Briley, who plays Pinhead, called it The Shoot from Hell. Oh, God. Jerry Lively, who had shot Hellraiser 3, replaced the original cinematographer, who I don't have his name, so he just came back. Um, the assistant director was called away on an emergency, several people suffered from illnesses, and Doug Bradley said the art department and camera crew were all dismissed within the first week of production. God. I know. But, here's the fun part. Despite all these fucked up problems, the film was still completed on time and within its $4 million budget. Nice. Okay. Yeah. So, (laughs) So, all good to go. This is fine. Here we go. We're on track. We're ready. (laughs) Yes. So, the initial cut of the film was shown to, quote unquote, studio executives Mm -hmm. (laughs) in early 1995. And it was 110 minutes. That is an hour and 50 minutes. Uh. (laughs) And we have a movie that was delivered at 85 minutes with credits. And again, 78 minutes without credits.
0: Ugh.
1: Uh, Yeah, basically 25 minutes was eventually cut out, but here we go. So this cut contained much more graphic imagery, plots, and I I love this. It also explained everything that happened in the film. (laughs) 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 Uh, Fuckers. Fuckers. So, okay. But also, the problem was, Pinhead didn't appear until the 40-minute mark. Now... I would argue, in the cut we got, he also doesn't appear to the 40-minute mark, minus mm-hmm. the one shot of him on security camera footage in the opening space station scene. Correct, yep. Because so, this is Angelique's film. Yeah, it is. Which, uh-oh, female lead villain of your horror film, that mm-hmm. scares that scares the studio, so here we go. Mary Mac's reaction was negative, and they demanded <laughs> that Pinhead receive a more prominent role and appear earlier in the film. Atkins said they knew about the script, but possibly panicked when they saw the reality. So that, in and of itself, is just really... Like, like they knew. They knew what this was going to be. Yeah, they're fucking idiots. And then, the, yeah, I, I feel like I feel like they didn't actually read the script. That, that no. has to be what it is.
0: They greenlit it without even a spec
1: script. So of course <laughs> they didn't read the shooting script. Come on. Um. Yes. So, Miramax's demands required rewrites. Jaeger, the director who was coming off of a difficult shoot already, declined to direct the new scenes and left the production, citing a lack of time and energy. He wasn't necessarily opposed to their changes, supposedly. He was just like, I'm tired, fuck off. Yeah, and he basically said he didn't want to see the film slowly morph into a different product after spending so much effort on it, which is understandable. Totally fair, yeah. Yeah. So, we're in the home stretch now. Mm-hmm. Atkins wrote three new scenes, and okay. when he became unavailable, Barker recommended Rand Ravitch, and I may be butchering that name, who had previously worked on the slasher sequel Candyman Farewell to the Flesh. Okay. And he rejiggered some stuff, and I will go into the changes in a bit. So then Joe Chappelle, <laughs> the, the original requested director for this film, was then brought in to finish doing all these reshoots. He was like, guys, I went on a vacation to the Bahamas. I had a great time. I'm feeling
0: super relaxed. I'm ready to get back to work. Oh, fuck, you want me to do reshoots on Hellraiser Bloodline?
1: Oh, God. Well, and this is the weird thing. The reshoots happen in April and May of 1995. So Halloween, Curse of Michael Myers actually hasn't come out yet. That will come out in September of 95. Okay. So we go through two months of reshoots um, from the rewrites of the narrative, which include using the space stuff as a framing device. Because apparently, originally, this film was told in chronological order. Which... I find it intriguing. I can't really envision this in a different
0: way without the framing device. Like, I actually kind of think it works.
1: You know, our editor, Brad Miska, tweeted... Oh, also, weird fucking fact, and Joe, you know this, but so I I posted a picture of just the credit, the title credit of directed by Alan Smithy, thinking that I was being sneaky. (laughs) I had like 50 people guess what movie I was watching just based on that alone. (laughs) And Brad Meskin was one of them, but yeah, the way he describes it is kind of cool, though, because it's like, okay, imagine watching this movie, you get the France stuff, you get the present-day stuff, and then the space stuff is introduced in the third act as kind of a twist. I kind of think that's cool. I
0: agree, but I also... Okay, so I can't remember the marketing for this film, but I'm willing to bet that they would not have been able to resist including space footage in those trailers. Yeah, that's true. I think that just would have been too big a secret to try to sit on.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, don't forget, this is also the same year that Leprechaun went
1: into space in his own part four. So oh my god, that was just very hot. hot. Well, and that was straight to DVD, though. This this was going to theaters. This was an important <laughs> film. Theaters, yes. <laughs> so, hey, okay, and this is where it kind of gets a little murky. So it basically, Doug Bradley said that some scenes of the original script were never shot, and the reshoots consisted of entirely new material. So obviously, it was Mr. Rand Ravitch's, like, noose sc- scenes that he wrote. Mm-hmm. And so it wasn't actually even reshoots, it was just going back just to shoot you. more. Yeah. <laughs> Many scenes were removed during editing, especially from the Lamarchan storyline. Yeah, you can tell because it's shorter than the other two sections. Yeah, which I was actually kind of surprised by. Uh, I I would have been fine with more stuff in 17th Century France because I actually think that a lot of the New York stuff is not Oh, super boring. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And it's the longest stretch of the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, there wasn't enough time or money to reshoot enough of the film for Chappelle to actually be the solely credited director. Uh, when Jaeger saw the finished film, he felt it strayed too far from his original vision and had his name removed from the credits using the Director's Guild of America pseudonym, Alan Smithy. Joe. Yes. What, what is Adam? <laughs> I'm sorry, Alan Smithy. Did I say Adam? Alan Smithy. Yeah, you got it right. Oh, okay. So what? what is, who? who is Alan Smithy? So as you
0: suggested, Alan Smithy is the pseudonym that the Directors Guild of America created. originated in the year 1968 and a lot of people see it as the moniker that a film is really bad but in reality what it actually means is that a film production has gone awry and the director doesn't feel that it reflects their art anymore so originally the Directors Guild of America wouldn't let directors use a pseudonym because they worried that producers would more or less threaten or bully directors into using pseudonym and they didn't want them to have that on their CV. So basically, there was this one really bad film, 1968. It was a difficult shoot.
1: Yeah, what was the film?
0: It was created for the movie Death of a Gunfighter, which was released in 1969. And it was tension on the set. Their lead director more or less booted the director off the set even though he had directed most of the film brought in somebody that he preferred and then there was a clash in terms of whose directorial voice was actually reflected in the final product and the result ended up being that they said okay it doesn't actually reflect either of these two directors and neither one of them really wanted to take credit for it so as a result the director's guild of america created this nom de plume originally it was al smith and then Al Smithy, and then it eventually became Alan Smithy. And the funny thing was, is that it's known to a lot of people now, but at the time, for many, many years, people thought that Alan Smithy was a real person and that he was having this sort of illustrious 30-year career. And it only really came into the public eye around the year 2000 when our friend Joe Esterhaus, a.k.a. writer of Basic Instinct and Showgirls, made a movie that literally talks about Alan Smithy. So it's called an Alan Smithy film, Burn, Hollywood, Burn. Came out in 1998, and the whole premise of the film is a director named Alan Smithy, who has a terrible film shoot, (laughs) wants to remove his name from the film, and they put directed by Alan Smithy in its place. And this was like the first time that a bunch of just regular lay people realized that Alan Smithy was not a
1: real person. It destroyed the moniker, and as a result, has not been used since got it well because i i looked up like the list of alan smithy films honestly most of them i hadn't heard of which i guess maybe is why people knew that this is what i was watching when i posted that picture
0: maybe the interesting thing is that yeah so it got used on a lot of films like theatrical films as well as tv shows which i guess i never really Uh considered but i'm sure there's probably just as many terror stories for tv shows it's been used on really high-profile films when they get re-edited for viewing on planes So for the broadcast TV version of Dune, David Lynch removed his name Uh, for The Guardian. no,
1: people people were kept thinking I was watching. That was the other guess. It was either this or Dune that people were guessing I was watching. And y'all, I am never watching Dune. I'm sorry. Oh, you're going to watch that new one when it comes out this year. Yeah, but isn't that Denis Villeneuve? It is, yes. Okay, I'm fine with that. Yeah, I'll watch that. But I will never watch the original Dune. (laughs) He's fucking Denis. He's
0: French. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) The edited for television version of Heat and Rudy and Meet Joe Black and The Insider, like with directors like Michael Mann. (laughs) Oh my god. Yeah, so that's Alan Smithy. It doesn't get used anymore. And apparently the new one that people might recognize is Thomas Lee is one of the new ones that they use. And so if you watch Supernova, you will see that it is directed by
1: Thomas Lee. It was not actually directed by him. It was directed by Walter Hill. We're going to have to cover... I think we've, we've discussed that movie a couple times, and we brought it up. We're going to have to cover that, even though there's no gay shit in it. Although... Uh, thirst Trap, Peter Facinelli. Also, Robin Tunney rocked an awesome lesbian mm. haircut.
0: Oh, yes. Yes. I'm down to cover that movie. Yeah.
1: Uh, I saw it in theaters with my dad, but it was weird. It was, it was PG-13 when it was in theaters, and then it ended up... Like, it's R on home video, so... Oh, really? I don't okay. know if they added extra stuff, or if it was re-rated, <laughs> or... re for gore. Yeah, I don't... I don't know, but... I will say that out of all the Alan Smithy films that were listed, which and none of these were the TV versions, um, or the plain versions, it was like, actual. oh, like these were like releases Alan Smithy. Mm-hmm. It was Rick Rosenthal's The Birds 2, Land's <laughs> End. <laughs> Didn't even know it was a real film. So, um, Rick Rosenthal, if y'all don't know, he is the director of Halloween 2 and Halloween Resurrection. Bleh. But he, yeah, it, it was a Showtime made-for-TV movie in 1994 that tippy hedron does guest star in but not as her character from the birds (laughs) oh interesting okay i've always wanted to see it um but by all accounts it is terrible and um by rick rosenthal's alan smithy credit um that would probably back that up something went wrong (laughs) so okay before we go into the plot i I, I'll, i'll go ahead and mention the major changes in the film no, I, sure. I was debating if I wanted to do it like, as we went along, but I, I'm just going to do it now. So, if you've never seen the film um, and you're just listening to us while talk about this, this may mean nothing to you. So, major changes. Yes, the original screenplay featured a linear timeline, more special effects, mm-hmm. violent confrontations between Pinhead and Angelique, and I am mad that we don't have those things. Oh. Mm-hmm. Um, the new scenes and reshoots changed several characters' relationships, gave the film a happy ending. I don't what? know what the original ending was. Oh, I bet you Merchant died. Maybe. Introduce Pinhead earlier, uh, which, again, the one fucking shot of him in a security camera. And cut 25 minutes out. Ew. <laughs> <Boo. laughs> which, Boo. I mean, granted, though, do I need a 110-minute Hellraiser film? No. I think 100 uh, if I can get a if I can get a Blu-ray
0: from maybe Vinegar Syndrome that has both copies on it, because the other thing that you haven't mentioned is that when you started talking about I this, know. Brad Henderson from Vinegar Syndrome, the guy who does their acquisitions, he confessed that he has the 112 minute version and he posted screenshots and I wanted to kill myself.
1: I know. I was like, oh, I need. And granted, our editor also said the same thing, and so I'm wondering if they're buddy-buddies, and he actually did get it, but he uh, did not make any comments about his plans to release that footage. <laughs> no, he, he absolutely was like, no, Finner Syndrome has no plans to do this, and
0: I still want to kill myself. But
1: that's what I'm saying, though. Like, like Arrow didn't put it in the Scarlet box because fan reception was so bad, but given what we have just t- spent 30 minutes talking about, like, this is prime for a horror, like a, a good Blu-ray release, you know? oh yeah,
0: guess what, bitches? This has surpassed Cursed as the film that I most want to see all that deleted motherfucking footage, because now I know it's out there, and I know that people have
1: it. It's not hidden in some vault. Yeah. Um, Okay, so moving on to these other changes, Pinhead was inserted into the opening of the film— um, which was changed so that the 22nd century Paul Merchant narrates his ancestor's story and a happy ending was added. I just said that, but I guess the narration of him telling Rimmer, which <laughs> we'll get to that mm. in a bit, there's your queer content. It, I guess that just wasn't the case, uh, obviously, because okay. the space stuff was at the end. Uh, in the shooting script, Pinhead had a violently antagonistic relationship with Angelique. This was softened during editing and pickups and a hinted sexual attraction between them was introduced.
0: Which is weird.
1: Peyton Head doesn't have a sexual attraction well, to anybody. Well, it's weird, because it, it's like that, that studio thing where it's like, oh, like, you know, or we just saw little women. Oh, the, the the female lead has to get married by the end. But then you have these two, like, BDSM hell villains, and it's like, oh, let's give them a little bit of romance, too. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, demons need a little something-something
0: on the side. It's like, yeah, they do. It's called From Putting Hooks Into People's Skin and
1: Pulling. It's so bizarre there are there is some good hook usage in this movie, I will say, I like it angelique so yeah, but yeah, so they were basically I think the whole concept of the film though was basically to be them fighting over hell, and mm. it's kind of hinted at in this movie, but it's not really like dealt with. um Angelique represented an older, more chaotic version of Hell that favors drawn out temptation, and Pinhead represented an ascetic results based order that takes over and of course relies on torture and pain um that's awesome. <laughs> Yeah. And we don't get that. Not really. In the France 17th century stuff, um, the Duc de Lille, uh, who I think is meant to be like the Marquise de Sade. Yeah. He had a larger part, but some of his scenes, when his part was cut, um, because in case y'all don't know, he is killed one scene after his introduction. A bunch of his stuff was given to Jacques, played by Adam Scott, who we had who we have not mentioned yet. Mm-mm. And Angelique's origin was also changed. So yes, Adam Scott had a smaller role, but of course was rewritten and expanded when Angelique's origin changed as well. Is there a character named Jean-Vievre in this movie? Yeah, that's uh Le Martian's wife. Oh, okay. Um, well, the last change is, um, in the script, Jean-Vievre is also depicted as more suspicious of her husband, who she suspects to be having an affair, to mirror the uh, affair storyline from the first film.
0: Right, and also I think to complement the fact that it's going to happen again in the present day, AK 96 scenes.
1: Yes, exactly. Yeah. Okay, so that was long. Let's go into this fucking movie. Okay, so aboard the space station Minos
0: in the year 2127, Dr. Paul Merchant, Bruce Ramsey, playing one of three roles, awakens... I, I, (laughs) I like him. I like him in this movie. I think he's fine. I like him in this part. I like him
1: okay in the first part, and I don't care for him in the middle part. Well, that's why he gets violently killed in the middle part. Spoiler alert. Yeah, spoiler alert for a film
0: you've hopefully already watched. (laughs) He awakens a robot, and using a So 1996 It Hurts VR glove, (laughs) he manipulates the Lament Configuration, or I guess I can call it the Le Marchand Configuration. I guess. I guess.
1: Seems weird. Just call it the gold box. Right. I think that's the only time I refer to it that way. I do like that they actually show him making this thing. Yes. But I remember being like, wait, so it's just wood with fucking gold plating on it, which did mm-hmm. not make sense to me. Oh, yeah. It looks like you went to the Michaels and bought like a little <laughs> bit of gold lame and just yes! put it on a box. That's exactly what it is. I always <laughs> thought it was full metal, but um, this movie retcons that. Yeah. If you want to buy versions of it online, you can get it in both metal and wood. Uh,
0: the good. metal one is several hundred dollars. Oh, I was gonna say get the metal one, but that sounds terrible. Yeah, exactly. So, as armed soldiers from a recently docked ship advance, the doctor solves the puzzle and the robot explodes, revealing the figure of Pinhead. Doug Bradley. Da, da, da. Yay, and we get this really brief moment where Dr. Merchant taunts Pinhead and he talks about revenge, but it's really cut off
1: abruptly and Pinhead just disappears and then the doctor gets arrested. I mean, that that's again, that, that's just the editing for this movie. Oh, also, I forgot yeah. to point out this movie has three editors. <laughs> But, but, oh, wait, wait. But here's the funny thing. Main editor is Randy Bricker, who uh, edited Halloween 6. Oh, well, look at that show. That's not a coincidence. Yeah, that's not a coincidence. <laughs> uh, Bride of Chucky, Texas Chainsaw 3D, and Cult of Chucky. But then, here's my funny one. Rod Dean also edited this movie, and he directed not only Devil's Do, which is one of our January horror films that we discussed, but mm. All About Steve, the Sandra oh Bullock movie. <laughs> God God. Um, and then the other editor is Jim Pryor, who, uh, no major credits except for 56 episodes of Xena, Warrior Princess.
0: Interesting
1: trio of individuals there. Yeah. Yep. Hmm. So uh, that also might contribute to (laughs) Why this movie feels so disjointed Admittedly I don't find The
0: editing too too bad Like this to me is actually the worst The most egregious mistake of the film Because it just feels like Wait was there more dialogue there And then you get to the end and
1: you find out yes there was And I don't know why they cut it And this clearly isn't the case but it could also be They had one editor on on each um, timeline (laughs) God you love to (laughs) speculate On bullshit I do (laughs) You don't know. I don't, I have no idea. It's it's just speculation, (laughs)
0: but whatever. (laughs) So, we are introduced to Rimmer,
1: pause for laughter, Christine Harnos. I, sorry, (laughs) I, I really couldn't stop laughing because I was just like, well, that had to be Clive Barker's idea to name her that. I mean, I love a good rim job giving and receiving as much as the next person, but really? Well, and the funny thing is, is that this
0: character was meant to be a man in the original draft, and then they changed it to a woman.
1: Well, and what's funny is she, um, I was like, oh, that's something that, like, Katie Sackhoff will be playing today. Oh, 100%. (laughs) Yes. Absolutely. Remake this movie with Katie Sackhoff, please. And the original shooting script. Or the original script, actually.
0: Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah, so Rimmer begins her interrogation of Dr. Merchant, and she's trying to understand why he took over the ship, he dismissed the crew, and he basically says, hey, I've created this giant trap, and I need your help. How about if I tell you this story, you help me finish the job? And she's like, "Mm, tell me the story, and I'll let you know. Mm. So he goes into it, starts talking about his
1: ancestor from the 18th century, Philippe Le Machon. And see, I think, had I seen this in theaters, this would have shocked me the most, where it's like, wait, wait, wait. (laughs) we're going to 1700s France.
0: (laughs) Well, okay. And honestly, right then and there, I was like, hello, we're doing Hellraiser in both space as well as the 18th century. What other franchise has dared to, we always talk about how we want innovation in our horror films. You know, give me, give me alien three, the original shooting script where it's like that Amish planet and they don't have any weapons, you know, give me Jason in the snow, all these other things. It's like, Yeah, guess what? Hellraiser Bloodline is the only
1: fucking one that really gave you this. (laughs) I mean, execution could be questionable. But yeah, no, it it reaches for the stars, literally. And... (laughs) 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 I actually just made that up. I didn't even plan that. I'm going to give you a D for that. (laughs) No, that was funny! Um, (laughs) But yes, on that level, I can commend it. Which again, compared to something like Curse, where it's just kind of like not yeah, doing that kind of flat sort of uninspired yeah pretty much yeah um so yeah no i i agree with you um i just i to be a fly, did you see this in theaters i did okay yep. i was just like to be a fly on the wall during like to, to just see people witnessing this in theaters i just would love like, it what the fuck yeah, yeah. exactly
0: yeah, so Philip Marchand, he's a toy maker, and he has been commissioned by a rich aristocrat, a man who is rumored to be obsessed with the occult. So we see this montage. He makes the box, and when he finishes, his pregnant wife Genevieve or Genevieve I is guess, not impressed. She is super unimpressed. Like he's like, "Look at my life's work! I have done this thing," and she looks at it and she goes, "Oh, is that all it does?"
1: She goes, no. She goes, "Oh, it doesn't actually do anything, does it?" <laughs>
0: like wow bitch you are soup's unimpressed and also not very supportive
1: i will say though i was actually impressed i was happy that, that that happened because when he was showing her i was like that's really not that impressive and so i thought but i thought they were gonna like do this thing where she's like oh it's so cool and that they didn't do that i was like oh good for you it's kind of like self-referential or like self-deprecating a little bit
0: yeah part of it is that i think even he doesn't really understand what it does like he's impressed with himself because he's done a good job and then she just kind of takes the piss out of it
1: yeah which exactly. is great
0: so he gets mad and he leaves well i mean they they make up and she's like oh i'm pregnant please like make money so that we can support this goddamn child right and he's like cool i'm gonna go deliver this so he goes to the chateau and there we see jacques who is played by adam scott and he delivers a drunk peasant girl who is played by valentina vargos to aka numi rapace
1: <laughs> oh, is this what you want me to refer to her as? No, it's fine. We can call her Angelique. <laughs> but y'all, I, y'all, if y'all watch this movie, please, for the love of fuck, tell me I'm not wrong. This is Numi Rapace. She is a time traveler. <laughs> uh, okay, let Trace know. <laughs> <laughs> not Joe, just me. Just you. Yep.
0: So we have Numi Rapace, who is delivered to Monsieur Duc de Lille, who is played by Ricky Cottrell. And he is also at this point introduced as France's greatest magician. So he's apparently a magician who is obsessed with the occult. And God, if that isn't a career aspiration, I don't know what And is. if he doesn't have an obscene amount of herpes sores all over his face. Oh, yeah. But, you know, he is a proper French gentleman. So he's got that powdered he's oh. got the wig. He's got the powdered face, which I love. In the scene that Brad Henderson posted, you can actually see Numi Rapace in Aristocrat Getup. So I mm-hmm. wonder if in another version of this, she was not a peasant girl and she was actually
1: an upper class lady. Oh my god, can you imagine that? Where they have to go back to the actress and be like, hey, so look, you're not going to be a rich bitch, <laughs> you're going to be a slut. And here you go. More yeah. The, the first time I went through this, I kept referring to her as a sex worker
0: because I was pretty sure that she was there for money well, And yeah, yeah, then her... all of the
1: all of the press releases and the cast descriptions call her peasant girl yeah well because yeah i guess it says her origin has changed so maybe it's not even just like angelique the demon from hell but it's also yeah like whoever she was as a human that entire origin was changed too i think so yeah
0: okay so they tie her to a chair And then they move the table after it's revealed that everything she was feasting on is actually rotted and disgusting. And then the chandelier has hooks attached to it that like come down from the ceiling. So, Part of this is the iconography of the franchise, the hooks, the sadism, all of this kind of stuff. We're suggesting that it's actually coming from this origin story. So it's not necessarily just that it's demons from hell who are bringing in the hooks and
1: the chains and the, and the right. bondage. It's like Monsieur Duc de Lille. Hey, this is going to be a controversial statement. This movie is The Godfather Part 2 or Mamma Mia, here we go again, of the <laughs> horror world in that it is it is both a prequel and a sequel. A little bit, yeah, yeah, which is just
0: all the more disappointing when you look at what the other franchise entries after this, like they just couldn't even aspire to a fraction of the ambition of this film. You know, oh, okay. Well, we've got hundreds of years before Pinhead has to go to space and explode. Spoilers. Mm-hmm. Let's just have a generic story where a cop is
1: bad, and then Pinhead tortures him. Ugh, God, that's there's one good yeah. thing in that movie. It's, it, but that's it. Uh, it's when they, the the the, the Cenobites like put their fingers under his chest skin. Mm-hmm. There's a really yeah. good effect with that, but that's it.
0: Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. So they they kill this girl they strangle her to death and at that moment that's when luma Show shows up so they're like cool thanks for the box bye we got bye. things to do oh my god okay thank you bye don't get caught. don't get run over your home bye <laughs> yeah, it's basically like thank you next and then they're back in the room and they're performing a bloody ceremony i like the way that this is shot so yeah. we see almost everything in silhouette. so we see the upside
1: down image of this woman being strung up well, because it's just her skin, right? Like, they've already skinned her by this point. Or is did they hang her up and then they skin her? I thought that they hung her up and they skinned her. Okay. well, but but I could be wrong. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of like a hostile type thing, which obviously hostile came out after this. but like, yeah, where they, It's not even like... The camera doesn't pan around. And just show, it just cuts. It just shows different shots in different areas of what's happening while things are happening, like, off-screen. It's mm-hmm. kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah, so we've got lights flashing. We've got glowing floors. We've got wind
0: blowing. And as a result... Angelique is born. So we, we even see her kind of adjust the skin mm-hmm. as she gets used to it. But I love It's a great little so, touch. So
1: basically, she she is like, basically at this point in time, the ruler in hell. There is no Pinhead, I don't think, or... That was the impression I got, too. He does it, well, because he knows her. So he does exist. No, wait, oh, wait, no. Because the, the the second one gives us Pinhead's backstory because he's in like the one of the world wars. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that that makes sense. So when she leaves, like, there's not really anyone living in hell. Yeah, she leaves a leadership vacuum, yeah. and there's all these other
0: creatures, but she is, as Pinhead refers to her later, I believe she is the princess of hell.
1: Yes, exactly. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh. drinking aim for this movie, every time Pinhead says princess, and every time anyone says toy maker. <laughs> yes, so true.
0: You will die in the middle section of the film. <laughs> So at this point, we have seen the birth of a demon. Lamarchan is properly freaked out. He goes to his corner friend and he says, oh, fuck, Uh, (laughs) I may have done this thing and now I need some advice. (laughs) And this fat bloke is basically like, well, you know what? You're kind of responsible for this, so you should figure shit out. You have the capacity to build something new that can close the door to hell, but also you should get that fucking box back. So yep. that's what he does. Philip breaks into Delil's mansion and he discovers the old man. You're meant to think he's dead. Jump scare. He's not. Then he dies. Whatever. The main thing is that you see Jacques and Anjali porking. So they're, well, they've obviously plotted to overthrow this old man.
1: Yeah. I and mean, this is I, because the, when Delil is like his body's discovered, he has like the, the wire around his face, which is mm-hmm. used in the second one with Dr. Oh, fuck. Chenard. Dr. Yes. Chenard chenard yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah this movie does a really good job of
0: calling back a lot of the cenobite and mm-hmm. the visual iconography of the lot, yeah, a lot yeah a lot of the imagery which again apparently
1: there was more of but we don't have it here <sighs> you're just trying to make me sad on my birthday on your birthday right now. <laughs> <My> birthday. <laughs> it's your fault you picked it fuck you <laughs>
0: Okay, so Jacques and Anjali gang up on Philip and they basically say, you know, hey, your bloodline is now cursed because you've been involved in this. And also you've got these really pliant fingers, but it doesn't matter because stabby stabby, you know, you're mostly dead. And for some reason, Genevieve has shown up at the house and she comes in. She, you know, cradles her husband as he dies and he tells her that she has to save their son. And this is where you really get the sense shit is missing. Because at this point, we jump back to 2127. That is the end of the France section. Yes. I was
1: very confused by this. Oh,
0: (laughs) is there no more? Like, she was literally just outside the room where this evil succubus demon and this valet from hell are planning to take over the world and then we get a scene in a couple of
1: moments that suggest they don't know that the bloodline had survived until 1996 um yes 100 and also angelique and adam scott jacques have been alive this whole time and they're Just never hanging mentioned. out in that same fucking house. Yeah. And they're never mentioned in 1, 2, or 3, and it's even kind of more shocking in 3, considering that in 3, it's hell on Earth, where, like, Pinhead comes to Earth and, like, rings all hell with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, hey, you're on a different continent.
0: Sometimes, <laughs> you know, the telephone can be a little bit tricky, you get bad reception, so
1: it's really hard. Yeah. <laughs> but there were no news stories like you know when when three happened and that they caught it in paris like oh no 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 <laughs> no no the french don't care about the americans they come on
0: <laughs> <laughs> so there's like a little brief bit more between dr merchant and rimmer in 21 20... rimmer. <laughs> Uh basically all you need to know is that it's like oh the blood remembers so let's cut to 1996 aka present day we are now with american john merchant who is still played by Ramsey. And he is the Jesse Walsh of this film. He wakes up screaming from a nightmare and he's got a worried wife whose name is Bobby and she's played by Kim Myers, a.k.a. Meryl Meryl. (laughs) Streep.
1: Also, their kid, I was like, who is that kid? He's so familiar. He plays Mm -hmm. the Danny Torrance in the Steven Weber miniseries of The Shining. He sure does. That face is... Punchable. A. It's punchable.
0: They could stop a truck it's so memorable like it's very it's a very distinctive face to the point where i i had the same reaction i had to immediately look him up and be like oh right okay that and then you realize he's never appeared in anything else he's done nothing else of note
1: nope nothing it's at crazy. all <laughs> probably because people like us were saying he had a punchable face back then god we are terrible we're bad but we do love to talk about punching children <laughs>
0: Okay. Here's another clue that something was cut out of the earlier sections because when Meryl wakes up, John Merchant, they have this conversation at breakfast where she talks about how his grandmother did all that weird shit to him, like she made him think that he was important. You're thinking, This is weird. This is a drop storyline. If you look at the cast list on IMDb, you'll see that there's a grandmother character who was uncredited.
1: Oh my god.
0: Mm-hmm. All right. Well So more yeah. scenes that were cut. Jesus. So John rationalizes all of this by saying he's got fear and anxiety because he's going to win an award. At this point, we learn that he's a big-time architect. His face is on the cover of a magazine. He's due to win this
1: award in a couple And he developed the building that was introduced at the end of Hellraiser 3. Correct. Yes. Because I think at the end of Hellraiser 3, the box falls into, like, a pit of wet concrete where it's being built. And so that's basically what leads this to become, like, shaped like the box okay and of course as we see later yeah angelique punches the the wall in the basement and pulls out the box yeah it has been a hot minute since
0: i've seen part three so i did not remember any of that
1: yeah no that's definitely i mean it's like the last
0: 60 seconds of the movie so oh yeah these films love to end on a like oop, the box has fallen into this person's hands in this case
1: in this building's infrastructure Mm -hmm.
0: okay so let's hop back over to france we've got a bunch of split diopter shots which were like Wow, bougie filmmaking in my Hellraiser movie.
1: <laughs> That's how you know you're working with an auteur.
0: Yeah, well, it made me wonder. Like, okay, so who's filming this piece? To be honest, this part is maybe a reshoot.
1: Yeah, I think. well, no, but yeah, because it's it's with uh, Juck's increased role mm-hmm. in the screen film. time. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so it's Angelique and
0: Jacques. They're still hanging out. She looks modern and still super sexy. <laughs> and he looks like the lead singer in a soft rock cover band. I He's wrote the his most fucking hair, hair in all caps, periods, hair is like it is awful. Nuts.
1: <laughs> and I don't even know if I can blame 1996 for this because it's just,
0: it's really bad.
1: <laughs> no, no, no. It's a bad wig. And also this is the end of Jacques because, so it's, <clears throat> you know, he gets an increased role in this version of the film, mm-hmm. but like he has maybe three scenes mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so i'm wondering also there's more with him also i didn't know this apparently adam scott because th- he was just happy to get the role in this film he went oh, back yeah, and yeah. auditioned for the fifth one hoping that the people doing the auditions wouldn't recognize him and cast him in the film <laughs> man oh adam scott no 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 <laughs> he didn't get cast um and he doesn't know if they recognize him but he says they must have because they didn't cast me <laughs> I mean, girl, that's maybe not the only reason, but sure, yeah, let's go with that. But he also, he he's joined the ranks of, um like, Paul Rudd's that don't age. Oh, yeah, yeah, he
0: still looks really good. Yeah, he does. I've always had a crush on Adam Scott, I think he's super cute.
1: Well, if you want to see his penis, uh, watch this one-season wonder HBO show called Tell Me You Love Me that aired in 2007 or 2008. Oh, God, we've talked about this before. <laughs> oh, we have? Oh! Yeah, 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 let's move on, let's move on. okay god the things we forget okay uh
0: yeah so there's like a whole tete a tete where she realizes the bloodline is still there she wants to go to america and see the toy maker and he says no No. because she is a lady and her feelings are
1: unimportant he is the boss of her doesn't make any sense though, given that she basically already told him 200 years ago oh you're good just don't get in hell's way and you're fine and what does he do 200 years later because plot he gets in hell's way (laughs) Okay. In his defense, it's been 200 years. (laughs) It doesn't matter.
0: (laughs) This is also a loose interpretation of getting in hell's way. What if she said, hey, I want to go to the store and pick up some butter and milk. And he's like, "Mm,
1: no, like, is that getting in hell's way? It's also, hey, it's also a little confusing to me, though, because, you know, Pinhead is in hell by this point, ruling hell. So... Mm -hmm. What is she doing during this time? She's just having fun, like, she's like, okay, getting in hell's way, but, like, she's not really ruling hell anymore. No, I mean, I'm not going to try to give this film too, too much credit,
0: but Angelique is kind of a fascinating character. No, she, no, I agree. She is the ruler of hell. And then she is summoned and imprisoned in this human body, right? This is a film series that is obsessed with flesh and the way that it can be deconstructed and reconstructed. It loves its gore. It loves its sadomasochism. So to have this female character, who, by the way, is very Julia Cotton. Yes. A.K.A. the villain from the first and second film. mm mm-hmm. And it gives her this meaty part where she is a super powerful female who is then trapped in this shitty, thankless life by this
1: douchebag bro. Like,
0: could it be more relevant to our
1: our current existence? It's, God, it's, I, I, I just think that's Miramax. Bob Weinstein, thinking America isn't going to go for this because it's a woman villain and they want Pinhead. It's like the Freddy oh, thing, you yeah. know, like ima- imagine yeah, yeah. if if um Freddy Krueger was introduced 40 minutes into one of his films and it was a female dream villain for the first half yeah. of it.
0: Yeah. You oh, know? absolutely not. Heaven forbid. Oh my God. No. Yeah. Keep her away from me.
1: Mm. Rinny Harlan's Nightmare 4, Frederica Krueger. <laughs> <laughs> you know
0: what? Probably a better movie,
1: though right oh people love nightmare four i i i'm of the it's okay it has the best effects but it's not great i haven't seen it to be honest
0: oh my god J- i know i know i know i'm working on it okay that's why i started
1: my stupid project where i'm <laughs> watching horror movies with people coincidentally nightmare four does feel like two movies in one because you lose the cast of three halfway through four and then you just get this new cast and it's like a totally different movie
0: oh uh, yeah uh yet another version of a horror franchise entry that has totally fucked up behind the scenes interference but it's Renny harlan so uh this is true okay okay so he has gotten in hell's way which allows her to grow a delightful claw hand slice up his face a little bit and he tries to repent but it's too fucking late so she way punches him in the gut and somehow pulls out his heart yeah ah. Uh, the way I, to a man's heart is through the stomach. I right? think
1: she uppercuts him. Like she, it look, It's filmed like she punches straight through, but she actually like uppercuts him. Yeah, it was not well staged.
0: We'll yeah. put it
1: that way. For sure. So
0: let's come back to New York. Merchant is on stage accepting his award. He sees Angelique in the crowd. He's mystified by her. She immediately turns him into a rambling buffoon. So <laughs> he has to get off the stage. It's like, <laughs> I've never seen a sexy lady before. Oh my God, words, what? And then we get... Toy maker. Toy maker, yeah. So she, it's hilarious. It looks like she wants to approach him, but it's too late because Meryl has already whisked him away into a car and they're out of there. So she's like, well, fuck, now I gotta find this schlubby man. (laughs) So she finds some random guy. Random guy. She takes him to where the puzzle box is hidden. She undresses him. He solves the puzzle like, I'm sorry.
1: I appreciate that she is hot, but... The no, I, straight I was men like, will do for pussy? You, you could view it as a commentary. Like, oh, look how stupid men are when there's, like, a hot titty woman 100%. in their face. 100%. Yes. <laughs> but I don't, I don't think the movie's that smart. And so it's just, <laughs> it's just no, it's like, because plot, we need someone to solve this puzzle box. And of course exactly. she gets the delectable line, I have such sights to show you, which, yeah. call back to the first movie. Uh, I love that they put that in a woman's mouth. Oop. oh yeah Oop. now would it have been better had she just opened up her dress and flashed some boobs when she said that
0: uh no that I was sarcasm so. i don't think it would have been better <laughs> but i'm surprised sorry i was, was worried that you were gonna suggest that she opened up her dress and
1: hooks like come out of her vagina <gasps> that... that is a better movie oh my god <laughs> <laughs> okay, no, we're writing no, the next install. her nipples become hooks and they just fly out like fucking jason x and oh, they god. just yep chain hook nipples okay we have referenced jason x too many times in the last couple of weeks (laughs) maybe it means we're gonna cover it one day who knows who knows who knows all right so he opens the box
0: yeah okay so he opens the box Skewered by chains he gets dragged away enter pinhead 36 minutes okay (laughs) it's the 78 minute movie yep it's halfway over. <laughs> it's halfway over. Yay! So Pinhead comes out. He greets Angelique. They clearly know each other. I love it. She's she's basically in the dark, and she just kind of struts her
1: shit out. Like, mm. hey, what's up? <laughs> Haven't seen you in a couple hundred years. So, and he has the slime when he comes out. So he, they're talking a bit, and then he's like, "Hell is more ordered since your time, princess." And yeah, it's less interesting. Much less. Amusing, and I'm like, okay, but isn't he ruling hell? And like, isn't it going his way now?
0: Yeah, it's like your boss is away, and you're <laughs> saying it's less interesting. Like hell should be a fucking party. When Angelique is away, it's time to play. You would think so. Like he's he's been having plenty of fun over with Kirsty. He's been having fun with Terry. What is he complaining about? Yeah.
1: I don't. Whatever. So okay. they're they're just sitting there talking a bit. Again, I actually like their scenes too. I wanted I wanted more of them, and apparently we had more of them at some point. Yeah, their scenes
0: are the highlight of easily this middle section, possibly the entire film. Yeah, they have. I don't want to say chemistry because it's not sexual, but like they play off each other very very well.
1: No, and again, you're watching two titans of hell go toe to toe. Like I want that. I want to see that. Mm-hmm. But. No, but no, we have to have a kidnapping
0: subplot. <laughs> yeah, indeed. I do want to highlight one quick thing. We get a lot of the, the clarification here that this place that they're meeting in, in the, in the office tower, it's got the puzzle box configuration as a clock. And then we also pull back and we see from a high angle shot that the floor is also in the shape of one of the sides of the puzzle box. Mm. I just think it looks really good. I know that I'm a sucker for this.
1: No, I mean, honestly, for $4 million, this does look pretty good, at least from a production value standpoint. Yes, in some parts well, more than others. France and present day, maybe not space. Yeah, I mean, space is fucking Jason X, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. That's a garage. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> oh, I also love that his line is when he, when he sees... The puzzle box design, he's like... He calls it a Holocaust waiting to happen. I was like, ugh, no. Yeah. No to that line, though. Yeah, but it's, it's pinhead. It's fine. It is. And, yeah, I mean, he's so religious and over the top. So the next day... Angelique makes her move. She goes into Merchant's office. She's attracted to the design. So he's actually got the drawing that his ancestor Le Machin drew, which is the design that will close the gate to hell or open it permanently.
1: Yes, which is called the Elysium configuration. Thank you. I meant to take note of that and I did not write it down. I don't know if they actually say it, but the Wikipedia plot summary for this movie definitely says that.
0: Uh, Maybe.
1: I I don't can't know. we're gonna call it that though so there we go sure.
0: yeah 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 okay so uh she promises that they have work to do and he's like cool boobs <laughs> i have in my notes he dreams of tips oh yeah 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 he's obsessed with this woman. so this film obviously is playing with time quite a bit the very obvious thing that we've got three different time periods mm-hmm. but i love that in this scene she comes in it's the middle of the day and the office is filled with people And then as she's leaving, she's like, okay, bye. And then it's just nighttime and he's alone. And like, he's completely lost track of the day. Yeah, I just thought that was a really interesting little tidbit. Like, is it even meant to be that she's even there? Because the very next scene is him dreaming about having sex with her. This idea that she's not just tempting him, but that she's actually
1: getting inside of his head. Yeah. And I remember thinking at first that the cut to dark was like maybe an editing snafu, but that, that, your explanation makes more sense. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it could be an editing snafu. It could snafu, be an editing snafu. never know. It's <laughs> a <laughs> <This> fucking movie. <laughs>
0: So he dreams about porking Angelique. You know, we get tits. Yay! Mm -hmm. And uh, Meryl's a little bit upset. You know, she looks disappointed. But it's all fine. So we're back to Pinhead and Angelique. And he's unimpressed that she's using temptation rather than terror. So this is paying off that more extended bit that you talked about. where They were battling over the best way to proceed.
1: Well, it's the best way to rule hell. You know, it's like Mm -hmm. monarchy versus democracy, dictatorship versus totalitarianism.
0: Yeah, and this is very 1996 gender politics, where it's like, yeah. the lady uses her body in sexual temptation to get what she wants, and the man uses brute force. Right. So, that's what it is. So, to demonstrate his power, he decides that he's going to lure twin security guards. This is interesting. They're played by a pair of twins in this scene, and then when they're transformed into Cenobites, they're played by different actors who are also twins. Probably... Very
1: odd the men the main men didn't want to be in the makeup maybe but they're like they're noticeably skinnier when they switched to
0: cenobites so
1: er. so okay did you write down some of this dialogue that they were having
0: okay so i'm gonna do the broad overview and if you want to go in with the specific line yeah yeah
1: this is your queer content
0: <laughs> this is our weird queer content it's so weird So these twins are walking around. They're basically charged with keeping track of the security in this building, but they're also looking at the floor plan because it's new and people have not been in here, question mark? Sure, whatever. So they discover that there's a section in the building that isn't on the map, and they go to investigate. But as they're walking, they're talking about whether or not they would have sex with a trans woman. (laughs) And the one guy is like, yeah, I think I'd be open to it as long as her penis were cut off
1: and all. So, hey, I, I didn't get the exact verbiage, but it's basically, yeah. It's She asked me what I'd do with a woman that used to be a man. Hormones, everything. And the brother goes, would you do it? Yeah, I would. If she was cut and all, you know. Right. <laughs> like,
0: what is this?
1: So this line of dialogue is in
0: here. It is never referenced again. Nope. It just... There are no trans characters in this film as far as we know. So this is just a completely random bit of dialogue that 1996 Hellraiser decided, (laughs) You know
1: what? Let's just have a
0: random line about this guy being okay to have sex
1: with a post-op trans woman. Which it's kind but of, but only
0: as long as the penis
1: is gone. <laughs> yes, it's kind of progressive, but then that line comes out, and then you're like, "Oh, <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> okay, one step forward and two steps back." <laughs> it's I, I just I I, I I rewound this because I was like, "What? I... You're like, what the fuck <laughs> is this?
0: Why is this in here? <laughs> <laughs> makes no
1: sense. It makes no sense. And again, comes to nothing because they're to about to nothing. get killed. Or yes, giant, that sort of yeah. transmogrified." which i love wait maybe that's why they have the conversation about you know transitioning because they're about Mm. to transition into cenobites no
0: i like it i like it (laughs) well done it's
1: coming in strong there
0: you go okay so we cut back to pinhead again she's a lady so she's looking at herself in the mirror and he's not impressed with that vanity so he produces fishing hooks out of his fingers he wants her to get rid of her human cosplay flesh and revert back to what she truly looks like. And he's like, mm, I can like smell how you are, a- what you're actually like under all that human skin, which is kind of delicious and also disgusting. Mm-hmm. He sinks a hook into her chest and she likes it. So, you know, consenting adults and all that.
1: Yeah. Th- well, this- and this is the sexual element that was added though. So I'm betting this was not part of the original shoot. Either that
0: or it was more of this, and this is the scaled back version. Right, that's true, that's true. Oh, there are. We'll never know. Yeah. Uh, At this (laughs) point, the twins find them. But they're talking about how they always want to stick together. And Pinhead can hear what they're thinking. So he he gets very incensed when he hears them talking about pain. So he sermonizes at them a little bit. And then they are elaborately fused together in an extended sequence wherein half masks are fused to their faces, drills go into their cheeks, and then their skin is stretched over a rolling pin device. Yeah,
1: I love this. Um, and yeah, it, it, is, it is definitely an extended sequence. It's shot really well. Mm-hmm. the dialogue um so first it's he drops his flashlight I he goes my flashlight died i tripped and, and then i tripped and fell from now on we stick together always together that's exact mm-hmm. lines but yep. then when they see pinhead he's got pins in his head oh my god i hated that line so <laughs> much <laughs>
0: We talked about this in Scream 2 where Gale locks herself in the AV sandproof room and she doesn't have a lock. And she just goes, fuck, because she doesn't need to say, there's no lock. And
1: yet here we are. There's (laughs) pins. He's got (laughs) pins
0: in his head.
1: Like, yes, we also have eyes. Thank you. I also do love, though, in the the banter between Angelique and Pinhead where he just goes, temptation is pointless, princess. Suffering is the coin of the realm. I just I love, the love it. realm. Like, it's so fancy. Right? Because, I mean, if you think about it, they are in a different realm. <laughs> yeah. Um. Oh, yeah. I guess I got ahead, though, because this is when he's like, I'm going to go kidnap this kid. Yeah. So he, he
0: decides, okay, so if you're not going to do temptation, you got to make people suffer. What better way to do it than with a child? So he goes after Jack. So we see Meryl doing laundry in the basement because, you know, a lady's work is never done.
1: I was so confused, though, because she hears the kids scream... From the laundry room in the basement. You know, she's got that mother's
0: hearing. You can just hear the child <laughs> in pain, suffering. <laughs> yeah, so we have the. Oh, God. This is one of those things where I'm like, so we had 112 minutes. You trimmed it down to 78. And of the 78, you felt it was necessary to give us this scene. This long scene of her in the laundry room, she hears the cry, she has to run down the hallway. You know, she can't find Jack, his Lego Connects thing has been destroyed. She finds him at the bottom of the stairs, and
1: she's like, Jack! I do like the reveal where she's looking over the banister and you see the kid. But he's holding Pinhead's hand, but Pinhead is like hidden off screen. Mm-hmm. She's like, Jack, come to me. And he's like, I can't. He won't let me. <laughs> and then the camera pans and you see this kid holding Pinhead's hand. It's and I was good. like, you know what? That's kind of creepy. I like
0: that. It is. Like, can you? Okay. So it'd be scary enough to see some random dude in your house. Can you imagine a six foot, what, probably three, four
1: man, bald, pins, white face, dressed in a full leather outfit her reaction is not normal because she just goes oh god yeah (laughs) meryl come on um but they kind of have a little conversation which is kind of cool and then boom kids gone yeah kids gone so uh
0: at this point they are being kept in the office tower by pinhead's hellhound which is this film's version of chatterer who is the cenobite
1: who bites all the time yeah Yeah. and i guess we lose the female cenobite because of angelique okay so is angelique meant to be
0: representative of this other woman because when you see her in the space version at the end she is fashioned almost exactly the same as what the female cenobite looks like in part two right but her scalp is removed which is different Mm Hmm, but it's like They've shaved her. She doesn't have hair. She looks so, so similar. And I couldn't figure it out because we know that Angelique is not meant to be the female Cenobite because that's happening before the events of this film when Angelique would hypothetically still be in France. Mm -hmm. So I was so confused. I was like, you should not outfit your one female Cenobite to look exactly like your only other female Cenobite. Yeah, it doesn't make a lot of
1: sense. Um, Oh, oh, I guess though, she's not in... Because all the cinemates get killed at the end of of two. Because she's not in three either. She's not in three. No. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Oh, God. I just forget these movies. (laughs) Okay.
0: So, yeah. Okay. So, Merchant arrives at the office, and he discovers that the whole hallway has been turned into Pinhead's playground. So, we've got hooks hanging from the ceiling. We've got flesh. It's great. I mean, it's it's not great. It's badly lit, and it (laughs) looks like every other film, but... You know, it's kind of fun because, like, again, what would you do if you showed up at work and just thought, oh, wow, okay, this looks like the dark room at the gay club, only with a little bit more flesh and not as many new bio bodies. Hmm, hmm, hmm. So he comes across Pinhead, and of course, Pinhead is like, all right, time to finish up with your destiny.
1: And Merchant's like, no. We also get a good backlash from pinhead here when merchant goes for god's sake do i look like someone who cares what god thinks (laughs) love it i love it i love it i love it it's pretty funny how pinhead
0: is just having none of anybody's throwaway lines in this movie like do not reference pain
1: do not reference god because i will just throw that shit back in your face exactly it's uh uh i mean pinhead is actually really good in this movie they give him a lot to do which i appreciate
0: yeah yeah
1: despite only being in half the movie yeah true so merchant takes off with his
0: family this is my favorite line in the film he goes i've got a plan we're gonna split up (laughs) i didn't even catch that (laughs) and of course meryl is like what (laughs) so they put jack into the elevator by himself meryl takes the stairs and then merchant just goes back to face down pinhead so we we cut briefly between all three storylines So we see the elevator plummeting, making it look like Jack is going to die when that thing hits the bottom, which is kind of fun. Meryl has to face off against the chatterer dog, and uh, she has a brief thing where she, like, runs down the hall, she shuts the door, she has to solve the puzzle before it bites her, and she sends it back to hell. So she starts to figure out, okay, this is how we're
1: gonna fight back. Right, and I think I was kind of zoning out during this part, because I kind of remember all this happening, but then I, like, don't remember all this happening. So honestly, it happens a
0: little bit too quickly. Uh And the problem with the Meryl stuff is that it's not really compelling. So as interesting as the design on the Chatter Dog, it actually reminded me a bit of the Ginger Snaps Werewolf. Yes, I agree with that.
1: It's a proper practical effect. It's actually a man in a suit. Like it's played by the guy who did Chatterer. That explains why also we don't get shots of these things actually running around. It's all POV Mm -hmm. shots. Oh, yeah, yeah. And with a $4 million budget, you ain't got money to make that dog look good.
0: No, Not no we action. just get
1: face shots and the shot later when it
0: explodes. Yeah, correct. So Meryl has dealt with the dog. She has sent it back to him. At this point, Merchant has run away and he tries to find Jack and he discovers that Angelique has him. So she tells him to use his console, which I guess is 1996 speak for computer. I was going to say it's a computer. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she's been in France.
1: She probably hasn't had a lot of technology. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, we'll go with that. Well, no, they're, they're, this is 1996, so they're using um, Sidney Prescott's silent 911 caller.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So he uses the the toy maker's design. He inputs it into his computer and we get, you know, some fancy lights, I guess. (laughs) And he grabs Jack as the computer emission overloads and Pinhead is not pleased. So he promptly decapitates Merchant.
1: I forgot this happened and
0: I thought this was really cool it looks great he basically sends a hook through merchant's neck and then it splits kind of like the character from
1: mortal Kombat, scorpion yeah it it splits but then he pulls it back and retracts it and that's when his head gets cut off yeah and it's great we get this practical effect of the head rolling around
0: Mm -hmm. and the kid's right there (laughs) the kid is right there meryl shows up she ain't got time to care about her dumb dead husband no whatever he was he was emotionally cheating on you anyway, Meryl. You're better off without him. Hey, driven of them, Ange- the Numira Rapace titties. Exactly. He wanted to get with that. So she's got the puzzle box. She sends both Angelique and Pinhead back to hell, and therefore the bloodline survives yet again. End mm-hmm. section two. And yeah, then we never see Bobby or Jack again, because they don't matter. <laughs> they do not matter. All that matters is that they have survived to continue the bloodline. The blood remembers... Let's go back to twenty one, twenty seven. And I will say,
1: because we can probably go through this very quickly, because most of this is just random soldiers getting stalked and killed like three or four times. More or less. Yeah. Except
0: first, before we can get to any of that, we have to repeat the entire opening fucking scene.
1: Yeah. Which (laughs) pissed me off. Yeah. I mean, again, when you're cutting 25 minutes out of your movie, but you want to do that. Yeah. Guess what? It wasn't that long ago. I
0: remember the conversation. I remember the robot. I remember the box. It was an hour ago, at most. <laughs> yeah, so this, this is where you're editing for stupid people. Yeah. My audience will not remember, so I need to revisit this scene.
1: Like, no, we got it. I'm going to guess that was Rod Dyer, the editor of All About Steve. <laughs> 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 wow. Wow. <laughs>
0: Okay, so uh, I did want to highlight we get more of the audio between Pinhead and Merchant before we cut back to the interview, and I gotta say, the way that they talk to each other kind of reminds me of when you, like, run into an ex, and you don't really like each other, but you're still kind of interested in
1: fucking... Yeah, well, hey, I'm so confused by the time here because I wrote in my notes, I was like, it's taken Pinhead like 400 fucking years to get his toy maker from like 17th century France to like Mm -hmm. this 2127. I was like, did no one know this? But I guess maybe we're to believe that yeah, they've been playing like lovers back and forth for the past like 200 years. A little bit. Well, I think part of the problem is that Pinhead can
0: only come when called. (laughs) come when you call me the sequel to we have that in common (laughs) Um, so obviously if none of the merchant or le marchand bloodline touches a puzzle box then hypothetically pinhead can't come after them sure so he had to wait for this version aka dr merchant Merchant. (laughs) dr peter merchant so he had to wait for him to call him so he's like
1: hey boy Yep. <laughs> you up? <laughs> <laughs> you up. Yes. <laughs> yes. Or just, hey. Yeah. Oh,
0: God. Oh, you God. Up. So we cut back to Rimmer and Merchant in the interrogation room. <laughs> Stop laughing when I say no that. no rimming happening in this movie.
1: Clive Barker would be distraught.
0: This is true. This is probably why Clyde Barker was like, "Mm, I'm good. I don't need to make any more of these movies. Not enough rimming.
1: Funny story about me. So when I get drunk, I like to talk to straight people about rim jobs. you told this story before. Damn it. Okay, then let's forget
0: that. (laughs) Okay, so at this point, the story is over. We need to deal with Pinhead in the present. And I'm making quotation marks because it's 2127. So mother, uh, the ship's computer... Not mother. Oh. That was my alien joke.
1: Okay, I was like, wait, was it really called mother? That's stupid. Because of alien. It's so obviously meant to be mother. Yeah. So
0: the ship's computer says, you have 23 minutes to complete your mission. Which I think is stupid. Because it, sure. It gives this movie a countdown to work with. Because we keep getting updates as to how much longer he has. Right. But because it's a surprise. At the end of it, we have no idea what the countdown is going to. And it's not as though he says it's a bomb. He just says it's a trap.
1: Right. But that's why Alien alienate works, though, because you have Mother constantly counting down. This one doesn't have that.
0: Well, she does constantly count down, but we don't know what the countdown is for. And also, we don't know why it has to happen at that specific moment. And that is never explained. It's not like the sun needs to hit this reflector beam to cast the light onto the ship or something. Why can't
1: he just press the button and just make it go?
0: Yeah, or why can't he take 25 minutes instead of 23? (laughs) Who knows? Yeah, I understand. It's a narrative contrivance. We shouldn't think about it too, too much. Yeah, out of all the things, like, this doesn't bother me. Okay. (laughs) Out of all the things. of all the things. So this movie then turns into Jason X. As you suggested, we've got a bunch of stupid grunts. They unleash and are killed by Pinhead and the other Cenobites. And it's like 10 minutes of this. It is. And we barely know any of these characters' names. But I do want to highlight. So we've got the conjoined twins are back. They are (laughs) played by a filmmaker, Michael Polish, and his actor, twin brother, Mark they have made a couple of indie dramas, including a film that some people know from the festival circuit called Twin Falls, Idaho. Okay. No idea why they're in this movie. You can't actually ever tell that it's them because they're under heavy prosthetics. I can only assume that they knew someone tied to the production. Probably.
1: I mean, it's 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 incestuous. Yeah. It's a little
0: incestuous in many ways. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we've also got Angelique, and she's
1: sporting this brainy new look where we can, you know see her brain and they they each get one cool death i do like the siamese twin death because they like separate with some really bad cgi and then they like come in on one guy and like basically absorb him and then reconnect mm-hmm. yes and my notes i refer to it as a
0: threesome for the ages yeah. <laughs> okay it's kind of sexy right like yeah. it's this film's version of a twin sesty sex scene right
1: yeah pretty much
0: Uh, the other one that I like is the blonde haired guy who apparently is named Chamberlain. And I like it because he's the only person who shoots his gun. And it, of course, shoots lasers because we are
1: in space. Star Wars. Yeah. Yeah. And they do not affect Pinhead. This is the one that then hides as Pinhead walks by and then he turns and there's a hellhound right there. Yeah. Yep. And then, and here's, here's the one for me. So Angelique's set piece. Mm Mm-hmm. She goes back to her regular self in a mirror and acts like she's trapped in the mirror. And this guy walks up to it and she basically is tempting him. So she's still using her temptation despite being under Pinhead's, like, you know, Mm -hmm. rule. Pulls him into the mirror and he basically dies like that. Yeah, how does that work? Because his hands are through the mirror... And then he is decapitated. I think his head goes in first. And then, okay. like, I think that's what happens. But, but here's the thing. So Peter Atkins, while also, while, while writing Hellraiser 2 and co-writing Hellraiser 3, also wrote the film Wishmaster, which I watched for the first time recently. Oh. Mm. And if anyone's seen that, you might know that Kane Hodder has a very similar death, where he is trapped in a pane of glass and then shattered. Yeah. So, you know. <laughs> I mean, hey, if you can get paid twice for writing the same scene once... Why wouldn't you do it? That was 1997, so maybe he felt this one didn't get executed properly, so he wanted to see it done well. <laughs> this is funny. We just talked about something similar to this. I can't recall what it was, but it was <laughs> like, yeah, the
0: screenwriter just basically reused it, and we wondered whether it was because they were dissatisfied with it the first time.
1: Pretty much, yeah. I remember, ta- I don't remember what it was, but yeah, that sounds right. I mean, like all
0: podcasters, we immediately forget what we've talked about the minute we finished recording. <laughs> Take us home, Joe. Okay, we're like, literally, there's nothing left in this movie. So Pinhead, you know, tracks down Merchant and then lets him go after talking about flesh and human civilization. Uh, There is that really gorgeous shot where Pinhead looks out at Earth. And it's kind of just a great visual. Yeah, sure. I kind of like it. Katie Reif talks about it a little bit in her marathon wrap up that she did for the Hellraiser series on AV Club.
1: Uh, Yes, and
0: she loves this movie. Yeah, because people love this movie and it's actually really good, even though I've shat upon it for like two hours now. I
1: mean, we both have, but you know, again, it's ambitious and there's things to like about it. Yeah.
0: So Merchant runs away. He has a little chat with Rimmer. She more or less recreates the exact same scene with Meryl where she gets (laughs) chased down a hallway. She shuts the door, except instead of sending the hellhound back to hell, she explodes the chatterhound using the depressurizer. Which sure. is cool. I'm into yeah. it. It looks good. It's practical, again, so mm-hmm. I'm not going to complain about that. Yeah, no, I'm totally fine with it. So the countdown hits two minutes, and Merchant returns to chat a bit more with his sexy exy, and uh, Pinhead declares himself exquisitely empty and forever, which is basically my Tinder profile if
1: I ever went back <laughs> to dating. Exquisitely <laughs> empty and forever. He needs him. He, I guess you're I'm I'm buying into your queer reading then of, of uh, Pinhead and Merchant. I mean, yeah. They're giving each other some fuck eyes and even though
0: I did earlier say that Pinhead's inherently not sexual, there's
1: I mean, yeah,
0: no, that's not. I yeah, I, I I I disagree with that. <laughs> so merchant thinks otherwise that pinhead is not forever because he reveals that his image is actually a hologram and he's already on board the getaway ship with rimmer (laughs) so they blast the ship with light prompting it to configure
1: itself into a giant puzzle box so it's, yeah, a giant Elysium configuration, and we get a line, which I was like, why wasn't that the subtitle of this movie, where he goes, Welcome to Oblivion? And yeah. I was like, why wasn't this called Hellraiser Oblivion? Probably because Phantasm had it already, but I think that was mm. later. And then Pinhead just goes, Amen. And then, yeah. boom! Boom! Yeah.
0: He also does get crucified against the wall, which I oh, like, yeah. because they love to crucify Pinhead.
1: I, I Into it. I mean, mm-hmm. and, oh, God. I, I like this. It's, it is rushed. It feels very rushed, this entire third part. I think the thing that bothers me the most
0: is that we spent time, like, think about the time that we actually spent with the twins walking down that hallway, getting that elaborate death sequence. The amount of time that we had Pinhead and Angelique having their tête-à-tête, you know, talking about their Mm -hmm. different philosophies. And then none of that gets paid off in this third act. They are just dumb minions of hell. They show up, do the work they are punching the clock when it comes to this third section they show up they're like oh i guess i gotta kill this army guy yeah it's really disappointing to me that the film spent so much time and i i have to think that it's these reshoots
1: you know scenes 100 percent. so uh brad henderson release that fucking 112 minute cut <laughs>
0: <laughs> or just leak it nobody has to know it's from you yeah exactly
1: exactly
0: maybe it's already online i'll go check <laughs> maybe (laughs) so that's basically the end of the movie the the ship then starts to cruise to earth and the film just ends pinhead is done the Cenobites have been handled once again the future is safe all we have to do is get to 2127 the cinebites are no more
1: yeah and it would be another four years before we get another hellraiser film with scott derrickson's hellraiser inferno which came out in the year 2000 it's a little bit crazy
0: I mean, I'm not surprised that this one, with its divisive reactions by fans, the fact that it didn't make a ton of money, for me, the appeal of Hellraiser as a franchise, I don't want to say it's my favorite franchise, but I love the Hellraiser films a lot. Like, Freddy is probably my favorite franchise villain, but Hellraiser as a film series, I think, is doing something that none of these other franchises is doing It's having really adult, frank conversations about the nature of sex. Obviously, religion is massive in this. This idea of guilt and sin and Mm -hmm. redemption. Like, it's really playing with some heavy adult themes that I'm I'm not getting from other 90s horror films, except Candyman, which is another Clive fucking Barker property. (laughs) And I'm going to make you do that again someday, Trace. Okay. But these are things that are really interesting to Clyde Barker. I love the fact that we have this super fucking queer out man who has created these multiple properties that are unabashedly unafraid of addressing these really adult sexualized themes, sometimes interplay with religion, sometimes interplay with race. Not always great, but interesting. And I almost would have been happier if Bloodline had been the end of the road because I think this is a great capper. Like if you look at the films as a
1: quadrilogy, it's good. I mean, granted, how you could do sequels to this, because again, now you know that Pinhead is not done until 2127. You can have sequels be the adventures of Pinhead if you go into those sequels planning that. But those Mm -hmm. movies didn't do that.
0: Well, and to me, this film also confirms that Pinhead has never been the main attraction. And that is what I think people mistakenly construe with this franchise and particularly what Miramax and Dimension misconstrue about this franchise. I was never that interested in Pinhead. He's great looking. I don't care about his backstory. I'm interested in the idea of the box and the worlds and the pain and the pleasure.
1: Well, the reason that Miramax thinks that though is because this is a time when Freddy's dead, Jason is basically useless because Jason goes to hell was a flop. They had Michael Myers and he wasn't doing well. They wanted a new horror icon. I mean, a new. They wanted a horror icon to do well. So that's why they put the emphasis on him. Oh, I know. And it, I mean, it is kind of
0: fascinating because Hellraiser and Pinhead is the last. I mean, we've had this discussion about whether or not this is one of the big franchises. I think it kind of is. You're sort of iffy on the fence. But at the end of the day, this is a late entry, right? The first Hellraiser film comes out almost into the 90s. It's 87. And at this point, all the other franchises had had multiple entries. So really, Pinhead and Hellraiser are late to the game. I always wonder what would have happened if Hellraiser had to come out earlier and maybe hadn't been victimized by this idea that like we need to have pinhead as a horror icon right or maybe it just would have been like oh we get a pinhead film every fucking year who knows
1: i will say to you what director ruben fleischer told me when i asked him what Zombieland land 2 would have looked like had the amazon pilot gotten green lit mm-hmm. that is too much of a hypothetical and i don't want to answer that question <laughs> <laughs>
0: In the immortal words of Ruben Fleischer.
1: Um, I also want to correct one thing I said earlier. Uh, I did say that Dean Winters was uh, the main guy in Hellraiser Inferno. Okay. Dean Winters actually played Kirstie Cotton's husband in Hellraiser Hellseeker. The lead detective in Inferno was actually Nicholas Turturro, famed younger brother of John Turturro.
0: Oh, right. So if y'all were
1: cursing me out at the beginning of this episode, I apologize and I caught my mistake. And also, really? You're that invested? <laughs> i just Funny imagine how the Razor car's yelling, Inferno like, no! He was in
0: Hellseeker! <laughs> That's why Inferno's so good!
1: <laughs> do, I mean, do you have anything else to say? Like, do you want to elaborate more on your fascination with this interesting beast of a franchise (laughs) uh i mean all i'll really say is that
0: i appreciate the fact that hellraiser bloodline swung for the fences they dared to try something different i appreciate that a lot of people make fun of franchise entries that go into space like oh that's where horror goes to die i would argue that this film is a not as bad as people made it out to be back in 96. And I think it's actually, apart from some of the shoddy, you know, FX work and the fact that, yeah, it looks cheap in a lot of different places. This is a hugely ambitious film, and I do kind of love the fact that when you said you were watching it, a bunch of people came to its defense, so I'm happy to know that it has maybe withstood the test of time.
1: I will tell y'all, I I was like, Joe, no one's going to listen to this episode because it's Hellraiser fucking 4, and y'all proved me wrong, so we'll see what these download numbers look like, but I am shocked (laughs) at how many people are into this movie. I I honestly didn't think anyone had seen this movie before. Come through, birthday pick. (laughs) So yes, I hope you had a good birthday recording. Mm -hmm. That this lived up to your expectations, I guess, of what
0: what this would have been. I mean, it's not a movie I want to revisit every day. But uh, yeah, to come back and rewatch it, I think it holds up in my memory. I still like it. I still really enjoy this franchise. And yeah, I mean, how is
1: our bloodline, man? It's better than you think. That's fair. Well, I guess we're gonna wrap it up.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, um so okay, hey, before we announce what we're covering next week, uh on that note also, ladies and gentlemen, my birthday is at the end of the month and I will also be picking a very special quote unquote bad movie, and by bad I mean it's not bad, it's great. I'm excited. Uh yeah, it's a movie Joe's never seen before. So, uh if you're a member of the Patreon, you know what that is already. So ha. But mm-hmm. Anyway, before we we're covering next week, uh, if you want to contact us, you can visit our Horror Queers Facebook page or join our Horror Queers Facebook group, which is just called Horror Queers Group. Tweet the show at Horror Queers or email us at horrorqueers at gmail.com. Uh, we've been getting a couple iTunes reviews lately, so please, if you haven't done that yet, please go to iTunes right now or tonight and leave us a review. We love those. It's true. If you're not going to buy me a Shout Blu-ray for
0: my birthday, the least you could do is maybe give the show a review. Or
1: go go buy Joe that Hellraiser book by Paul Kane and get him that. That's great. Oh, that'd be lovely. If you want even more content, please visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash horrorqueers, where you can get bonus episodes on, Oh, let's see, our most recent one is on Gretel and Hansel. Mm -hmm. And we will also have, just in time for Valentine's Day, an audio commentary on Valentine for all you $10 patrons out there dear lord i know know. (laughs) (laughs) joe what are we talking about next week for valentine's day on the main feed Mm -hmm. i'm very
0: excited i actually haven't seen this film in a very long time same so we're hey we're going back to lesbian territory Mm. and we are going to check out some bad roommate situation by revisiting single what Female, a love story of the ages, mm-hmm. for the ages. Oh my god, for the ages. A little Jennifer Jason lee a little Bridget Fonda, a little Stephen I'm Weber.
1: Stoked. Uh, I'm less stoked for Stephen Weber. <laughs> uh, and trigger warning: if you haven't seen this movie, a puppy does get thrown out a window, but it is off screen. <laughs> okay, good to know. Yep, it is. Uh, yeah. I, I've actually only seen the TV edited this movie, so I've never seen it uncut, and I'm kind of excited. Oh, wow. Something uncut that Trace has never seen. <laughs> it took me a second. Ah, uh, It's fine. Yeah, and we actually do have two guests on next week's episodes of The Female Variety, so mm-hmm. they'll help us out uh, picking apart this movie. Yeah, I'm excited. Okay. Well, um, on that note, I think we can cross out God, Hellraiser Bloodline. I don't believe in God. Do I look like <laughs> someone who cares what God thinks? Exactly. Yes,
0: and cross-out horror queers. Disgusting Podcast Network, home of creepy, disturbing, and terrifying creepypastas, SCP Archives, weekly full cast storytelling, poor queers, genre commentary from an LGBTQ perspective, and The Boo Crew, horror-centric interviews, listen free wherever you stream audio, and at bloodydisgusting.com slash podcasts.